I'm Rosie Maddio, and welcome to From Pot to Popular, a new podcast where we interview the media, marketers, and moguls who are mainstreaming cannabis. Welcome to today's episode of Pot to Popular. I'm your host, Rosie Maddio. Today, we are joined by Bruce McDonald, CEO of C21 Investments. C21 is an up-and-coming operator with a beachhead in Nevada. He's going to talk to us today about the growth of the company and their plans for 2021. Welcome, Bruce. Thanks, Rosie. I'm so glad to have you here today to talk about C21. You guys have a lot going on. And let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. You recently left your 35-year career in financial services. Can you tell our listeners a little more about your background and actually what drew you to the cannabis industry? Sure thing. I actually spent 37 years at RBC in the capital markets business. I started off as a floor trader back when there was such a thing as a floor and uh, worked my way up to chief operating officer of, of the division in the end. Through that piece, built a lot of businesses, which was, was probably my favorite part of my career. And you ask about how I got involved in cannabis. That was more of an accident that sort of has turned into a passion. It found me. Uh, I ended up investing in the seed round or the, the IPO of, of C21. And when I was talking to management to make sure I liked the way this sounded, they asked if I'd be interested in joining the board. So they liked me. So uh, the rest is history. Um, I now spend my time sort of focused on the broader strategic aspects and financial aspects uh, where I can bring my expertise to bear. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I think maybe I even take a step back. Talk to us about C21. Give us like the three minute elevator pitch. And really, what you know, there are a lot of MSOs entering the industry every year. So talk to us about what C21's value proposition is. C21 was an early mover Canadian company as a to, to roll up an MSO, we bought assets uh, in both Oregon and Nevada. Nevada is clearly our cash cow, and it, it's a it's a phenomenal uh, return business. I mean, we we do about thirty five million in revenues in Nevada, uh, and uh, are able to get about fifteen million of EBITDA off of those dispensaries, which is uh, really a nice engine to build growth on top of. Yeah, and that's um, especially as being a, like a single state operator in that respect. You know, having EBITDA like that is is is, is pretty spectacular. Um, so you know, C twenty one is obviously as you mentioned earlier, it's notably like a Canadian based vertically integrated operator, and it's overseeing the business in the U.S. What are some of the benefits and challenges of this corporate structure as you look at it? Look, the the, the big benefit is almost what I touched on that you know we got the opportunity to be first mover advantage and find an access into you know public capital markets to invest in the U.S. Uh, cannabis space. Challenge-wise, I would say it's a slight but manageable complication around a dual regulatory framework. But I think on the real challenge side, the, the challenges we face are the ones that are shared by all, which is you know the punitive impacts around 280E, uh, the tax code, and the ongoing high cost of capital that this industry uh, is still pinned by. I mean, one of the things we're pleased about is to be one of the few operators that even with these headwinds is generating good positive cash flow. Yeah. And then for speaking about cash flow, you, know, you mentioned you know, a few minutes ago that you know, Nevada's really been um, your cash cow. Can you give us some insight into why C21 chose to put its roots in Nevada? And what specific opportunities does your team see? In, did your team see in that region and are you seeing today? We, we love Nevada. I mean, Nevada is a, a limited license state. And, you know, I guess there's about 75 to 80 operators now. It'll be 100 when it's, when it's fully bet. 
Uh, if you if you go back to the history of of C twenty one. Uh, which actually predates me, they reviewed about 100 different operators in the West Coast states through Washington down to California and uh, anybody who had uh, a legal aspect of cannabis. And, you know, in that journey, we met uh, Sonny Newman, who had uh, created Silver State, which was the first dispensary uh, that operated in the state. And uh, he ran an amazing operation and, you know, we managed to come to terms and then the rest is history. But uh, we like that limited license regimen and we like the demographics of the state. And so let's take a little more time to focus on Nevada. So during COVID, some of the largest retailers in the state, um, who some would say even your competitors, reported significant losses due to the decline in tourism. But you guys were able to maintain your sales. So what were the main ways that you guys pivoted during uh, the pandemic and what strategies will you adopt long term? Well, Rosie, it always pays to be uh, better to be lucky than good. But if you can be <laughs> both, it's, and, but if you can be both, it's even better. And so I think you really have to start this from a strategic perspective. You know, uh, we have a business that caters to locals, and that clearly helped mitigate a lot of the pain experienced by some of the others that were focused on the strip. Uh, you know, Nevada pandemic restrictions sort of went through f- three phases from a uh, a no warning notice that uh, we had to go from a you know in store operator to delivery only. Uh, then that was six weeks of our Q1, and then they went to another phase where we could add curbside pickup for the first time, and then uh, now we're back to we're actually able to operate all three. I mean the key to us though or for us was being nimble, uh, and you know beyond delivering or leveraging delivery services. Within a week, we had lock boxes ordered, bolted in the back of the car, and the regulatory approvals done from the first day of shutdown. And we had to chase and get approved the policies, um, you know, which we chased with urgency to get the cars approved in the first instance, and then the uh, the processes around curbside pickup. So, I mean, the key to not slipping in revenues was you know, having to replace more than 1,500 visitors a day with these other channels. So we ended up seeing about a 10% dip for the quarter year over year through the delivery only and, and curbside phases, but managed to remain cash flow positive throughout. And, and it's interesting because, you know, not only are you reactionary, but now curbside represents about 20% of our growth. We're doing about 10,000 customers a month on, on pickup, our curbside pickup. It's, it's, it's amazing some of the, um, you know, the pivots that cannabis companies made are going to be long lasting and probably going to you know, change the way you know, we run business or, or people consume you know, forevermore from this pandemic. But you know, in terms of the future, so earlier this month, you guys announced aggressive plans to expand your cultivation facility in Nevada. So what kind of market or retail footprint do you foresee for C21 in the next year? You know, we're coming off the pandemic and you guys are investing, you know, heavily in the state. Talk to us about what you're thinking about. And also, what do you think investors or other operators commonly overlook in the Nevada market and why you guys are so bullish on it? Well, that's a a mouthful of questions. I'll try and give you a mouthful of answers. Great. Love it. I I want to uh, just back up maybe and and just sort of, if if I may, lay out sort of our strategic approach to how, how we see tackling the market. I mean... We went through a phase of getting our house in order, which was really, you know, mainly around streamlining Oregon and making sure that that could be a profitable thing, rolling multiple companies up. And we believe fully that you have to have an efficient and profitable model before you can start to scale. 
the second step in this sort of medium-term growth strategy was we needed to fortify our balance sheet. And last month, you would have noticed, uh, you know, we announced the terming out of short-term debt and uh, entering into a debenture backstop with, you know, some very key strategic investors being sort of Wasatch and Jason Wilds, JWAM and CB1 Capital. And that was really designed, even though the debentures at the time were, you know, slightly in the money, we wanted to design to make sure we minimize dilution that could be caused by this if we suddenly ended up needing a cash call uh, if the debentures didn't stay that way. So that really fortified our balance sheet uh, and, and got us to a solid foundation. Next in that line is exactly what you touched on. We announced last week the expansion of our, of our cultivation. And, uh, you know, we announced tripling our growth. We're adding 40,000 square feet of grow and veg rooms uh, to our existing warehouse, which should generate about 7,500 pounds of high-quality flour. This was a logical next step in our growth strategy. I mean, it's going to cost us just only about $6 million that we can, that we can fund internally. And it's going to leave us another 40,000 feet of uh, further expansion capacity. But I think while, you know, this announcement was significant, I don't think it's fully understood by the market. And if, if you let me uh, play with numbers for a second, you know, 7,500 pounds of flour is worth about $17 million in today's market. And when we sort of went through the analysis of why do we go forward with this, we sort of analyzed our targeted operating expenses. And because it's inside our existing warehouse and we're already renting it, we can actually deliver operating expenses around $2 million, which leaves a lot of $17 million left for the uh, tax man and the shareholder. Right. So, uh, you know, I don't think people, but, you know, beyond people, power, fertilizer, and testing, those are the only things you have to pay for. So there's huge, big win for, for shareholders here and, and definitely extremely accretive on an after-tax basis. But most importantly, this positions us for the next leg of the growth stool, which would be adding additional dispensaries. We are a seed to sale model. I think it's key in keeping our, our costs appropriate uh, and keeping our margins alive. So we're now well positioned for that. So like to think there's some method to the madness. Yeah, in terms of method, I want to take a step back. And you mentioned, you know, raising the, the debt round, you know, a few months ago, announcing that. And you guys have, you know, the executives at the company have mentioned the importance of you maximizing internal growth before seeking real outside capital. You haven't raised, you know, real, you know, equity in over a year, despite your, you know, your stellar quarterly earnings. How do you think this business strategy will pay off in the long run? And what message do you think that sends investors and operators in the industry? Well, it's been 20 months, actually, since we uh, we, we tapped equity markets. And, and that really has been a strategic choice. We've just seen too much internal return to dilute shareholders at the prices we could have. And, you know, it, it's a strategic choice. And we always look through the lens of the shareholder. I, I wouldn't say that we have to sort of complete or uh, mature internal growth before we tap the markets. Although, as we went through the numbers, it's obviously, a, you know, a good high return activity. But I mean, one of the other things we're working on on that, uh, that last uh, sort of thrust in our, in our strategy is, you know, we think it's essential to, con uh, to, to access lower cost, non-dilutive debt markets that are available to other industries. And, you know, that was my business in my old life. 
and you know, he said nothing's done till it's on the tape, but we believe we're getting close to uh, to finding a secret sauce to to accessing uh, cheaper capital. I think it's really interesting when you think about it. Like so, uh, to add a dispensary, uh, say we were going to add a twenty million dollar uh, revenue dispensary, probably trading at one and a half times revs as a number, so it's going to cost you thirty million we're one of the most profitable people to be able to deliver after-tax cash from, from an operation, and we can do about 25% after-tax. So that $20 million dispensary is going to yield you $5 million once you fix it up and you make it work. Well, for these people that have been out paying 15% for capital, take $30 million at 15%, four and a half out of the $5 million is going to the moneylenders. You know, that just doesn't work. And so back to through the lens of the shareholder, no thank you. So our real focus is we got to get down to single digit interest rates. And there, I believe there are ways to access it. And so we are dog with a bone on that project because it's not buying a $20 million dispensary for 30 million is a bad idea. Paying four and a half in interest is. So, um, you know. We intend to crack that nut. I love that. You know, thinking about the shareholders first. Um, it's uh, how, how many other operators probably, you know, should, should think that way. Um, and we talked about, you know, Nevada and you guys, you know, doubling down on, on some of the cultivation. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about like your growth strategy. You guys, you know, have, have looked at other markets. You've, you've had some, um, you know, some foothold in, in Oregon and in Nevada. Do you see it expanding outside your current markets? What does the growth strategy look like over the next you know, 12, 18 months? I think uh, in order to be successful, we're a big believer that you have to own your home market. You know, I mean, we're currently about 5% of Nevada. And I would say by ownership, I probably mean something closer to 15%. And I think from that position of strength, you can entertain opportunistic expansion, you know, beyond your home market, which for us would likely be in, in one of the adjacent states, but you never know. But I think, you know, our focus is going to be, you know, delivering on something we've already proven we're good at. For sure. And also, this has been obviously, you know, a watershed year, you know, for the cannabis industry, but it's forced many retailers and operators, I would say, to recalibrate their business strategy. How has this year specifically um, and the challenges change C21's approach to retail? Well, <laughs> Rosie, frankly, it hasn't. You know, beyond uh, the, you know, the maximizing of our new distribution channels that, uh, that we found ourselves into. And by the way, they weren't allowed before, the, the regulations didn't permit them before. So we love now that we have three ways. But, you know, the benefit of having cash flow positive business is we, di- we didn't have to pivot. What this really did was it really affirmed the appropriateness of the, the strategy that we were pursuing and the client base that we were pursuing and sort of how we, how we approach the business. Then I, I, I love the way you think about that. And, and all, but also I would say there's also been a fair amount of political and social uncertainty going into 21, right? So what opportunities or markets are you most excited about next year? Um, I think that Uncertainty you're talking about uh, in our industry sort of manifests itself in two ways. You know, we don't know how long 280E is around. And, and on the other hand, we don't know how long until safe banking shows up and we could access a lower cost of capital. Um, you know, both of these challenges impact growth. I think it's critical that we live within our constraints and that we, and that we grow intelligently. And uh, like I said, I mean, the way 
it makes us look at the market is back to this concept of focusing on where we have a proven track record and we can deliver a decent shareholder return. I love that. And I think that actually leads right into the next question. So why should investors take note of C21? There are a lot of options out there that the market's doing great right now. They're on fire. If there's a few key takeaways investors think about when they think about C21, what would those be? Well, Rosie, hopefully from my comments, uh, you, you know, you can see we like to play the long game. Yep. And, you know, we make every decision from that, that shareholder with the shareholder in mind. And we worked really hard in 2020, you know, to generate significant cash flow. You know, it, it's sort of looking like we're going to come out of 2020 around $12 million run rate. You know, and for what it's worth, that's about the same as Planet 13. And, and obviously, that's a fantastic result for a company with a $100 million market cap. You know, I mean, we make our decisions through that cash flow and earnings lens rather than a hype and flash. What can we put in the news next week? And we're really disciplined uh, or that our discipline really does deliver results. You know, if you stare at top five metrics uh, in the pub codes, you know, we, we're there in cash flow. We're there in EV EBITDA and earnings, you know, among others. I think one of the things that's key is we're getting noticed. I mean, we talked about three key strategic investors, but, you know, we're also one of the 16 plant-touching names in the MSO's ETF. So while we didn't have huge promo budgets going through the process, we're getting noticed. And I think, you know, we have a clear growth trajectory, you know, focused on bottom line and delivering for shareholders. And Rosie, if you look under the hood of what we are today, you see a 10% cash flowing business, which is frankly a rare bird in any industry. Yeah. So, so we can't wait for 2021. Yeah, we're excited to see what 2021 um, does for you guys too. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm very excited to see what the next 12 months brings for you guys. Um, it's exciting to see just the buzz around the company. I mean, I hope you'll come back and join us and tell us you know, how the rest of the year went. I would be honored. Thank you, Rosie, for uh, taking interest in our story. 